You have got to decide that Saturday and Sunday are my Super Bowl opportunities every single week. You can elevate your conversations more on Saturday and Sunday than any other day during the week. You, I mean, listen, if you wanted to be, um, you know, Monday through Friday, then you should have become a bad lender. The good lenders are working the weekends, by, by the way. If you are not getting educated about current market conditions, whether you're in finance, accounting, you're giving people mortgage advice, you're in title or obviously real estate, you're doing yourself and your clients a disservice. This is the Knowledge Brokers Podcast. I'm Tom Tool. He's Byron Lazine. And we got another jobs report that just dropped right before the show here. And Byron and I have been digging in. So let me give you the high level. And Byron's got some excellent analysis about this. So payrolls in the public and private sector increased by 339,000 for the month, better than the 190,000 Dow Jones estimate. And mm. the unemployment rate rose 3.2, to 3.7% in May against the estimate for 3.5%. Um, on top of that, we saw some wage data come out as well, where the average hourly earnings rose three-tenths of a percent for the month, which was in line with expectations. It's kind of a weird report. It's some good news and maybe some not great news from what the Fed's trying to accomplish. Byron, you've got some insight. What do you think, my friend? Historically, anytime you hear that jobs are increasing, that's good for the, for the economy. Or if you hear unemployment rate is rising, that's bad for the economy. The opposite is true on how the Fed looks at this. So the Fed is looking at the unemployment rate going up and they're saying that's good for inflation, right? This is what Jerome Powell's saying. This isn't my opinion. And then Jerome Powell is seeing that we added 339,000 jobs against the 195,000 estimate for May. And he's saying that's bad because that, that could lead to more future inflation. Now, what we've seen, Tom, recently is that high number of the initial jobs release has been revised down recently. So the expectation is that in a week or two weeks, you could see that 339,000 get revised down. It won't get revised down to the estimate, the Dow Jones estimate of 195,000, or at least that the, that isn't the expectation, right? It's not, and it's not the trend that we've been on. I think that the unemployment increase is more important to the Fed, though, than the top line jobs market. Okay. Mm -hmm. So history suggests that, and this is according to Bloomberg, history suggests that anytime the unemployment rate is 0.3 percentage points off of the low hit over the prior 12 months, which just happened, we went from 3.4 low, mm -hmm. a 50 year low mark, all the way to 3.7 like that. When this happens historically, then it tends to go on in the future now, the near future, to spike 1.5 to 3 percentage points higher, which would suggest we're going to get up over 4% or even up over 5% or more on the unemployment uh, rate here in the near future. Now, overall, this report would suggest that, you know, if, if you're if you're going to say, okay, unemployment is going to go higher, that would... Uh, that would lead to, okay, we don't need to, to continue to rise rates, I mean, uh, uh, the federal interest rate. Right now, uh, the poll, and I know you usually have this poll handy, the last uh, poll from investors that I saw was they're expecting in June, the, the FOMC meeting in June to be a 70% pause, 
30% hike yep. and it flips in July. They're, they're looking at 60% hike in July. So the consensus is that June, we're going to pause. We're going to skip a hike. And then in July, they're going to come out and start hiking again. Well, if unemployment shoots up this much, they may pause June, pause July, right? If we can, if we don't see that unemployment increase, we continue to see a jobs market that's very resilient. I think that could uh, be consistent with a tighter policy uh, you know, approach in July. But the consensus and what the Fed has done all week, Tom, they've come out ahead of this jobs report saying, hey, we're likely to pause in June and see what happens. So they might have known we're going to have a hot jobs report like we just had, and they got out in front of it uh, this week and, and had some commentary on Wednesday. Yeah, so I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, uh, I think that they kind of knew this was going to be happening. Um, they've been trying to drive up unemployment, whether you know that's the right or wrong thing to do. That's been their intent. They've been very clear about that. And I, I do agree. I think we're going to see a pause in the month of June unless something crazy happens, which it's 2023. It's the year of volatility. So uh, I, I liked it. Um, we're seeing things kind of in line. I mean, it's unfortunate. I don't, I don't like seeing unemployment go up at all personally. I just have a problem with that. But what we're seeing with what's going on with, with jobs and, and some of these other things happening, I don't think they're going to be able to raise rates based on what they've come out and said all along. And that's going to be good news for mortgage rates, in my view. It's going to be a good news for consumers, especially after this debt ceiling deal has kind of been averted. And, you know, it really just demonstrates how sensitive the market is right now to news, because this time last week, we didn't know if we have a debt ceiling deal. Rates went up to north of 7%. Now they've started to come down a little bit. The 10-year, the end of last week was at about 3.85. Today, we're seeing it in the 3.6 range. So the numbers are coming down. And what I hope happens, and I know you made this prediction last week, is we see rates kind of settle back into that mid-6 range based on the jobs report that we're seeing here, as well as the government not totally screwing up and and blowing up the debt ceiling, which I didn't think was going to happen, but you never know. Yeah. President Biden's supposed to sign that debt deal that uh, both the House and the Senate have passed. He's supposed to sign that today. So probably mm -hmm. after the recording of this, and he's supposed to address the nation tonight. So depending on when you're listening, if you're listening to this over the weekend, hopefully that's already happened. Yes. That's behind us. So you, you saw the uneasiness of the tenure, you know, creeping up as we kept getting closer and closer to the Janet Yellen uh, date of June 5th, where we would have had a catastrophe the first time ever America would have defaulted on its debt. Once that deal went into place, you, you've you seen this past week, the 10-year come down off of breaking 3.8 and is now sitting at, at the recording here Friday morning at you know just above 3.6. Uh, expectation here, now that we've got the, the jobs news is out, the market is screaming today, by the way, so far this morning. The, yeah, the, the Dow was Dow. up over 400 points with this jobs report right before we uh, – it might, it might have gone up even more. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's up over 400 right now. So that's the that's the highest level in more than a year for the Nasdaq and uh, a Dow rally of 400 points off of all this all this news. My expectation is that once we get past the FOMC meeting in uh, June 13th and June 14th, my expectation is 10 year might sit between this is just a projection. Who the heck knows? Sit between where it's at right now and maybe as low as, you know, 3.55 or as high as bouncing up to 3.7 again. Once we get on the other side of the FOMC meeting, we could see what we've seen traditionally 
after these meetings where it drops all the way back down to 3.4 to that 3.2 to 3.4 range. Okay. So I think we're going to see lower rates on the 30 year fixed. We broke seven last week. We're back under seven. I think we're trending towards six and mm-hmm. a half. And I think we could be in the low sixes, Tom, potentially by the end of June. And that would be a welcome sign to home shoppers who are who haven't found that house yet and are still in the market today. Well, you mentioned lower rates. And there's a lot of smart people out there that have said this is going to happen. Uh, some people have said maybe fives by the end of the year. I don't know if I'd go that far yet, given what we've seen in the market. What I am clear on, though, and we've said it on the podcast here, so the knowledge brokers that listened will be reaping the benefits in Q3 and Q4 that if rates go down into like that six and a quarter range, let's say, that's going to spur some of these people that have been sitting on the sidelines. And at least in our market, we're seeing the month's supply of inventory growing. Now, month's supply is a little different than number of homes for sale because less homes are selling this year. The pace is slower. And we're seeing folks target properties that are maybe on the market like 10 days. And they're like, hey, I can negotiate with these people, which 10 days, I mean, Byron, you've been doing this a long time. That's that's not a lot of time on the market. That's where we are in 2023 because the market is very fast paced. 10 so, years ago, it took 10 days to get a showing request. Yeah, you don't need to tell me. I mean, uh, you know, it's uh, it, I'd be happy if we got a showing in 10 days. Hey, we got a couple people through. All right, guys, we're doing well. The, the point is that if you are investing in your business now and you're doing the income producing activities that are going to benefit you in the next 90 days, and I know we got a question about this that uh, Byron wanted to get to. If you're doing those things and you've been listening to the advice we've been giving on the show and you've been implementing, which is the differentiator from a knowledge broker and from all the other agents that are out of the business in five years, implementing the phone calls, implementing the conversations, implementing the lead nurturing and knowing people aren't going to transact right away. The unicorn market is gone. It's dead. It's not coming back. Those people that are doing those things, the results they are going to see the second half of the year is going to allow them not only to have a great end of 2023, but a great career because they'll reap the benefits of the things that have worked historically in the real estate business. Yeah, we're actually going to finish the pod, Tom, with some YouTube comments from last week. One of the questions, and maybe we, we start doing this. Let us know in the comments if you'd like us to start doing this. Uh, one of the questions we'll, we'll answer at the end of this show, somebody wanted to know the top five income producing activities an agent should be doing right now. Become a better agent. Everyone tells you what to do. We actually show you how to do it. That's with our BAM X subscription down below. Make sure you sign up today. We have an event coming up in September. All of our events and creator courses, you get 25% off when you're a BAM X member. You don't want to miss any of these upcoming events. And in the meantime, we're uploading new BAM courses every single month from our BAM team that you have instant access to along with the live streams. Sign up for BAMX today so you can become a better agent. So to your point, we're going to go through one through five at the end of the show. Maybe me and Tom will do a little draft order and uh, we'll rank them one to five. I like a draft. Uh, yeah. And so, it, you know, here's the thing. I agree with you, Tom. You got to be doing these things. We're going to go over uh, the top five income producing activities at the end of the show, but you got to know what's happening day to day to just, just be able to educate. We went over that Steve Harney quote last week. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, the Ivy Zellman 
uh, quote last week, which was, we would never suggest that a real estate company could be successful without fund uh, fully understanding local market trends, but ignoring the macro trends or assuming they do not carry the same weight would be an equally erroneous, erroneous suggestion. In our experience, the most effective industry leaders appreciate the appropriate balance between the two ends of the spectrum. That's Ivy Zellman, uh, Hall of Fame, institutional investor equity analyst. And so knowing and being able to explain what what's going on with the tenure and what the the outlook is for the rest of the year. It not only helps you with with the trust of your home shopper, but I believe it just helps you in the door at the listing appointment. You start breaking down the market in this way, sitting in front of a home seller trying to pick the best time to list their house, the best approach, the best strategy. They're like, I'm sitting in front of a knowledge broker that knows what they're talking about. As we project out what's going to happen with the 30-year fix, let's go to Logan Modishami's uh, quote on Twitter. Mm -hmm. For 2023, the 10-year yield is currently at 3.7%. That's where we're seeing today. We're, we're under 37 right now. We're, we're in uh, yep. 35 range. Logan believes that the 10-year yield range this year will be between 3.21 and 4.25, as long as the economy stays firm. Okay, so the economy is pretty firm right now. We have a resilient job market, Tom. Now, yep. if the economy gets weaker, especially in terms of labor market breaking, so what we said earlier in the pod where – okay, unemployment could go up. That's historically what happens with what we've just seen. The economy gets weaker, which for Logan means job claims rising to 323,000 and beyond. Then we could get it as low as 2.73% on the 10-year, which would mean interest 30-year fixed interest rates down in the fives. And you might be like, whoa, that, that's a good thing. But to your point, I'm with you, Tom. I'm never going to root for job loss. Yeah. And it seems like that's what's going to get for us. That's what it's going to take for us to get into a mid to low five interest rate. I think we could have a resilient job market and a 10 year that we've seen get down to that three, two to three, four range other times in the year and get to a lower 6% 30 year fixed. And that would at least be stable for, for home shoppers, for home sellers, for, for people who want to migrate in and out of different communities in a housing market. We all want to see five, two, five. We all want to see five and a half. I think that's when we're going to unlock inventory, but yeah. I don't want to see that at the cost of many Americans losing jobs. So, so there is a, a balancing act that the economy has to do. And there's a balancing act that the fed is trying to go through right now as well as they fight inflation. Yeah. And I mean, seeing that the Fed looks like they're going to slow their role this coming month in, in a couple of weeks here at the next meeting, that, that, that that's a good sign because that decision is going to impact rates. We know the Fed doesn't set rates. I feel like we need to say that every time we bring this up, because that's what some people think if they're not studying the market, they're not knowledge brokers. So this is a step in the right direction. But I, I'm like, you, I just don't want to see jobless claims go up. And you know, the, the other issue here is when you when you see jobless claims go up, we still have this affordability problem and we still have the, this this lack of inventory. And there's a there's a couple experts that have put some stuff out of, about that. Uh, Lance Lambert, uh, in particular, from Fortune magazine, where he's talking about that. We are seeing inventory start to rebound a little bit here relative to where we were last year. But this is very local. I mean, we had a call this morning, Byron, on our accountability call with uh, Lisa Chinati, who, you know, is too good to grace us with her presence on the yeah. podcast this week. Um, Princess Lisa had to skip this week. We miss you, Lisa. Maybe. Um, but uh, <laughs> it, it, we're, we're seeing that new listings. Um, this is from realwater.com. 
New listings rose 4, uh, 4% month over month. They're down 23% year over year. Active listings rose 3% month over month, up 22% year over year. So we're seeing the supply grow. Uh, and it's that's where the opportunity is for home shoppers. And this goes for the people that have a home to sell too. And, and the thing folks aren't trained on is that you see a home on the market. I see days on market as the flag of opportunity. I see days on market as something you want to be monitoring. And the, these folks that only want to go and look at the new listings, there's so much opportunity with these properties that have been on the market for a little bit of time. Our market, the average time on, on market is less than a month in the suburbs. It's less than two months in Philadelphia. That's the average. But when you get to that 10, 14 day mark, that spells opportunity. If you're concerned about terms, you're concerned about I've got a mortgage contingency or I'm not putting 20% down, or maybe you're a low down payment buyer. That's the properties I'd be looking at. And I don't see this trend reversing, especially with what rates have done. I think it's going to be something where you monitor those opportunities. You look at the market and that's why it's so important for consumers to have a knowledge broker in their corner that knows how to navigate this because some people just rely on the MLS trip to do all the work, which is lazy business. You should know the ins and the outs of the affordable and below price ranges in your community. I mean, you should be able to break this thing down in 10 to $25,000 increments. Everything that's happening in your local market, especially in those price categories. Redfin right now is reporting that two out of five investor purchases are starter homes. Okay. So 40% yep. of investor purchases are considered starter homes, which is 1400 square feet or below. So it's not just that first time home buyer that's competing for these homes. It's everybody that wants starter homes. It's everybody that wants a middle price or low price. Redfin also reports that three out of four investor purchases are either middly priced or middly. You like that word? Middle priced or or uh, lower end price in the market. Okay, so 75% of investor purchases are sitting there. That tells you where you should be buying property uh, in your community. Uh, on nowbam.com, we posted a Zillow report, Tom. This the is a great article. Of adults, majority of adults support new homes to improve housing affordability. Okay, so right now, uh, according to Zillow, we have a shortage of 1.35 million homes it's due to the slowdown in new construction over the last 10 years. Uh, it's obviously got to do with homeowners not putting their house in the market with the with the rising rates. Uh, but uh, but the affordability just continues to get worse. We actually hit. I covered it on the hot sheet uh, earlier this week. We when we got up over seven percent on the 30 year fix, we hit an all time high higher than even the great financial crisis for unaffordability as measured by mm -hmm. HOAM. Uh, but the support publicly for builder uh, for, for building housing that is affordable, affordable is across the board. 70% believing adding duplexes and triplexes would help this growing concern by making housing more affordable. Uh, I'd love to see, I know you dropped in the comments, Tom, uh, this, uh, housing bill that would would incentivize home sellers basically upping that capital gain if if you haven't been following yes. that it's not passed yet but basically they want to ask they they want to uh this is a bipartisan bill so both sides are looking to do this they want to raise the $500,000 tax gain exclusion for joint followers to a million uh, and they want to they want to up it for single filers from 250 to 500 listen that's great and dandy that's not going to unlock inventory what we need to do is 
make incentives like that for home builders by stripping out regulation. The majority of, of people in every community want to see affordable housing. Well, we can't build it with all the regulation that builders have. Mm -hmm. So if you give them incentives, if you take out regulation from, from them even starting a project and say, here's a cap price, you can't go over median price point on the sale in your community. And, and maybe instead of sending Tom a hundred billion over somewhere, you know, that's very far from here. We send like a hundred billion over to, uh, <laughs> you know, across the pond for stuff that's not even in the budget. Uh, you know, maybe we carve out some money. They just wrote this big budget to like supplies for builders to build affordable homes here on the land in which we live might be something to consider. I mean, that's a revolutionary idea you've got there. I mean, ah, maybe you yeah, should, maybe you brilliant. should run for president or, or something. Um, I don't think you do very well that. because you're so, you're so defined in your opinions and you actually have an opinion. That's another story. Um, they're, they're, Washington State just did this, and this was in the article on Housing Wire, where uh, they signed a number of different bills uh, into place aiming at supply and affordability issues, but one specifically that lifts single-family zoning restrictions to allow for more affordable housing units. And that's the kind of stuff we need to see. We, we talked about this. Uh, George Ratu talked about this with uh, um, from yeah, two uh, episodes ago. Yeah, and and it's it's a real issue. I mean, the capital gains thing I think will will, will help some people. Because there are a lot of folks that are in their home 25, 30 years, and maybe their home's worth more than a million dollars right now. And the gain's going to be that that big. That's not what we're talking about here. You need median price point homes right now. Those are still the hottest homes. Even post-crash in 2008, the stuff at the median price points has always moved. And that's because you get not only people moving up, but you get people moving down and downsizing to those properties. Um and if there's more local laws passed about this, and I'm, I'm glad to see somebody's doing this. Um, there, uh, Minnesota passed uh, some bills that would preserve affordable housing projects and, and down payment assistance. I don't even think it's down payment. To me, it's supply and the local laws. I mean, there, there's many places around here where minimum lot sizes are an acre or two acres. That's not going to cut it. So that would be, you know, like tax incentives for builders to, build these types of properties. That's the stuff that's going to ramp this up. And it, I mean, we're, it's a good start. But we got a ways to go. Back in March, Florida uh, put out one of the most aggressive affordable home laws ever on record. Uh, they announced this in March, a new Florida law will set aside more than 700 million to help people get affordable housing. Developers say it'll also help them build uh, product in that price range. Okay. So th they, they did what I've been saying, which, which is kind of, um, you know, stimulate the top governor DeSantis signed the lot, the live local act in March. It's the largest housing investment in the state's history. Um, you know, so almost a billion dollars there. Now a state like Florida can afford to do that because they got all this extra money because they have migration coming into the state. So they have extra money in, in the kitty, you know, a state that doesn't have extra money might not be able to do it. I'd love to see something federally done. I mean, we spend the, the amount of money we spend in other places. It becomes mind boggling. And you're like, can we could we build some affordable housing? Um, so, yeah, there are states, to your point, that are doing this and everybody wants it. We can put up the Zillow bar graph here, the percentage of respondents who support at least one type of additional housing in their neighborhood 
78% are homeowners, 89% are homeowners, of course, uh, looking to, to get into home ownership. But even the people that already have a home, three out of four are saying, yeah, let's get some affordable housing options here for, for people. Uh, suburban, 78%. Urban, 89%. Uh, you know, less than a $50,000 in income household is 83%. And then 50,000, 100,000 household income, 82%. Everybody wants affordable housing. Uh, how come we can't do it? It's 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 due to the regulation that we have on the builders, in my opinion. All right, Tom, you want to go to you want to wrap up with some of the uh, with that comment on the YouTube? Yeah, let's do it. I think that's a great way to end this because we've got some favorable news right now. And you know, part of these income producing activities, and we're going to go into that now, is knowing what to communicate, knowing how to say it, and being able to deliver good news or news that's relevant to people. Because if you're not, if you're just calling people and we'll, we'll get into all this and just saying, hey, I'm, I'm seeing if you're ready to buy a house or sell a house yet, just just hang up your license. Uh, it's and when you can deliver value and be able to speak on these things, there's some reasons to reach out to folks. Just from listening to this podcast here, you get two or three nuggets using OFQ script, which is opening fact question. Thanks to Phil Jones, great way to break it down. Hey, it's Tom Tool here with Remax. I'm following up as promised. Hey, did you see that rates came down a little bit now that the debt ceiling deal looks like it's going through? Does that affect your home search at all? It's way better than just saying, are you ready to buy? On our last, with the uh, last live call, cold call event that you and I did, uh, we went through that opening fact question in detail over on the BAM uh, YouTube. I love that you brought that up. That, that is by far uh, one of the best skill sets that you can have and anytime you're walking into a pitch or a phone call. So, all right, here are the, some of the comments, by the way, we'll, maybe we'll start taking comments at the end of every show. If you're a subscriber, so make sure you're subscribed on YouTube at knowledge brokers podcast. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, love for you to consider leaving a review. If you're listening on one of those platforms, appreciate all uh, of the listens and the, so who, who uh, gets the first on, pick on here? YouTube. We got a draft. What's, uh, what, all right. So first I, I want to address Jennifer's comment. She says she loves me, but that I was talking too much, Tom, because last week your mic was out. And so me and Lisa, we went into bulldozer mode, but Jennifer, I apologize. I hope I let Tom articulate uh, as much as possible here today, but we have a, a comment from Mikey Hunter. Okay. At Mikey Hunter underscore on YouTube. Great show talking about last week's show. What would you say are the five most important income producing activities for a solo agent? Okay. So, um, and this could be any agent. I think this could be a team agent. This could be a solo agent. You know, so an agent right now, you know, when I hear solo agent though, I'm hearing, here's how I'm hearing that Tom, I'm hearing, I gotta be, I've gotta be gritty. I might not have every resource in the world here. You know, what are going to be the top five income producing activities? We're into June. We've got seven months left, which means we only have five income producing activity months left. Because if you do a deal in December, you're not getting paid till 2024. Yep. So we've got between now and the end of October, five straight months of producing income for 2023. That's going to be on your tax record for 2023. So let's go through it one through five, Tom, and we can do a little draft order here. You can have the first round pick since according to Jennifer, I, you know, I didn't let you go enough. So you're going to get three picks here. You get the first round pick most important income producing activity for agents right now. So the way I'm going to prioritize these is where do you start? That's what he's asking because 
like any great business, you, you can't just jump to the results. You have to have the buildup with it. It's the flywheel effect. If you haven't read Good to Great or don't understand that, we can, we can go deeper on that. But it's sustained action over time is what deliver results. So I'm going to start with having conversations with people, number one, because you can't get to the rest of the funnel without having conversations. And Mike Ferry put this out on Instagram, and I know I know uh, Tom would, would back this up for sure. I mean, obviously, we, we both got a great relationship with him. Text messages and emails create reactions. Phone calls create conversations. If you've tried to have a conversation with someone over text, they can just stop responding at any time. But if you've got someone on the phone, they hear the sound of your voice, they hear the tonality, you're asking the right questions. To me, this is where everyone should be starting is having conversations with people. You could also be doing this in person in an open house. If you're doing door knocking, there's a lot of ways to do that, but you have to physically talk to them and they need to hear your body language or see it if it's in person. That's number one for me. I mean, that that is a blanket right there. That covers the, the major, that covers, you know, 80% of what you need to do. Uh, and so listen, I, I think I'm going to, my, my, first round pick or my second second round pick here here in the top five activities income producing activities is going to support that obviously we know it takes about 40 to 50 conversations to equal a closing so to your point tom it's all about conversations the agents that are in your market that are doing the most business that maybe you you admire i know when i got into the business i was looking up to certain agents and it's like what are they doing you know it's not a newspaper ad it's not an instagram ad that's breaking them all the way through. Those things help support what you said, which is they're just talking to more people than you are. And so, all right, number two, how to put yourself in position to have the most conversations in your market. My, my uh, income producing activity for every agent listening right now is become a weekend warrior. You have got to decide that Saturday and Sunday are my Super Bowl opportunities every single week. You can elevate your conversations more on Saturday and Sunday than any other day during the week. You, I mean, listen, if you wanted to be, um, you know, Monday through Friday, then you should have become a bad lender. The good lenders are working the weekends, by, by the way, or you should have become a, a, you know, somebody who sells life insurance or, you know, somebody who's, you know, doing the 401ks, I, I see these auto, out of office email things on financial planners every single weekend. These guys don't work the weekends. It's crazy. Here in this business, we know, Tom, because you and I both have Zillow Flex accounts for our team. You, you and I are both running um, a lot of RDC, Realtor.com, right? I don't know if you, I, I know I am. You're running RDC, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yep. So, um, you know, we're doing a lot of these, these big, big lead flows into our team. Um, Tom and I here on the year combine our teams. Um, we're up, we're up over five, 600 transactions a year. You combine Lisa. I mean, the three of us were up over a thousand transactions year to date. And what we're seeing across the board, Lisa included, because we, we all do our mastermind calls three times a week is that, that inbound calls, that conversations Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and all of our teams are through the roof compared to Monday through Thursday when the consumer is actually reaching out. So my weekend should be full as a knowledge broker, meaning if I'm doing an open house, I should be squeezing the juice out of it, not showing up five minutes late. I should be showing up two hours early. 
talking to everybody in the neighborhood. Right now you got beautiful weather. Get there and get set up and go out there. And while Mrs. Jones, or better yet, in Friday, while Mrs. Parker's, you know, watering the uh, watering the flower, Miss Parker, Miss Parker, you run over to Miss Parker's house and you have a conversation with her. You talk to everybody in the neighborhood. You go out on showings. You be inside of the properties. Whether it's a great showing or a bad showing, just being out there in the game, I can't tell you how many times on the weekends that I'd be at an open house and somebody would say, hey, I'm thinking about this house. Do you think in a couple hours you could get me in there? I mean, you're on the fly. You're on the move on these weekends and opportunities when you're outside of your house 10, 12 hours on Saturday and Sunday, grinding and work in this business as a solo agent or a team agent uh, or even as an agent trying to jumpstart your career, you're going to have endless opportunities. They come to you serendipitously on the weekends. It's serendipitously. Number yeah, one. it's something like um, that. Something like that. Um, I agree with that. Uh, and, and I like that you're talking about prioritizing your time when you have the best opportunity to do it. I think that's really smart. And we see that when are people available to go meet with you or look at properties? It's over the weekends or it's in the evening. So I think that that's a really smart thing to do. And look, I've been a single agent. There's a reason we started our team here because it, it, there, there, there's a better way. But You've got to be out there when the consumer's out there. And to your point, bankers' hours don't cut it. So that's a really great observation, Byron. I love that. Uh, I thought that was a really smart way to explain it. And it's just how it is in this business. And if you don't like it, there, there's plenty of other jobs out there. If you want to be successful in real estate, get ready to do that for a couple of years. And you can have you can have fun with that. You're in your community. You can stop by. You can break up your day, have a fun lunch or something. Like there's a lot of ways you can you can really work a long weekend and have fun with it. Sure. And then I would also argue that, you know, it comes back to like time blocking. So if you're going to do that, like maybe you take off a couple afternoons during the week or you, I mean, it's, it's time management is really what we're talking about here. So, um, so we talked about conversations. We talked about becoming a weekend warrior. Number three for me is, and it's going to actually kind of dovetail off yours is prioritize making conversations during the proper times. There's a Harvard Business Review study. You've probably seen this, Byron. It's that green and black chart. Yep. The best times to call people. Earth-shattering news here. Harvard already did the research. You don't need to figure it out. And if any agent in the comments here, I want to see what people say, because some people try to argue this with me, and I'm like, hey, Harvard said it. Why are we arguing? If you're going to make phone calls, you're going to prioritize lead generation and, and have those conversations, do it during the times when people are going to pick up the phone. And that's typically 8 to 11 and 4 to 6 p.m. So instead of setting on a Wednesday, a 9 a.m. showing, move that back to the middle of the day when you can't prioritize building your pipeline. Look at your time block schedule as this is my business plan. You open someone's calendar up, it's going to show you what they're committed to. And if there's a lot of white space in there or a lot of blank space for people, they're not going to, they're going to get lost and they're going to end up doing a whole lot of nothing during the day. And it should be literally, this is the schedule in the morning, make phone calls in the afternoon, go on appointments. It, literally that's all you have to do. And maybe you, you have some, you know, if you're going to do any trainings or anything like that, do it midday mornings for calls, afternoons for appointments. Now the, the Harvard business review study does show that Wednesdays and Thursdays in that four to six window, it's the best time of the week to get people on the phone. And Obviously, if you can prioritize that, great. The challenge here is that's when a lot of people are available to look at properties or meet with you for listing appointments. So you've got to kind of understand that the afternoon, 
things get away from you. You're going to be dealing in the whirlwind more in the afternoon or the things that keep your business moving forward. So if you're doing it in the morning, you can get way more done in the morning. You have a disciplined morning routine. You're going to make it predictable and repeatable instead of trying to jam it in. But then you got a showing and, and we know how fast the market moves and you don't want to lose business because of it. So the mornings, the prior, prioritizing lead generation in the morning to have those conversations and then time blocking, like you said, on the weekends for appointments and, and being ready to do that. That's the key to success for real estate agents. This is, I mean, we hear this at every single every seminar we've gone to and we've been to a lot of them together. Have a daily schedule, have a disciplined morning routine. It's it's this we have we have a whole 5 a.m. call dedicated to this that Byron and I have been doing for seven years now or something like that. This is something that high achievers do consistently in any business. So don't tell me it works better for you if you're like a night owl or something like that. Just success leaves clues. So I'm gonna be a detective and follow the clues and not try to come up with my own way of doing things. Absolutely. Prioritize the calendar. And that's the schedule I've done forever. It's it's taking attacking those conversations, like Tom said, in the morning and then be on appointments in the afternoon. Guess what? Don't have appointments in the afternoon. That should not mean you go to the home office and, you know, pretend like you're working and, and do not. Listen, I'm telling you every afternoon. And this is what I did for the first five years of my career. Every afternoon, whether I had a listing appointment or a buyer appointment or not. I was out of my house and I was out of the office in the afternoons. The afternoons, the office should be emptier than the mornings. I would be out in the community. I'd be, listen, I've picked up clients at the, uh, the local watering holes, you know, Mystic Connecticut. I used to, a lot of great summertime fun there, meeting people, having conversations on the golf course, in the coffee shop, in the places that attorneys are hanging out. I would stop by an insurance agency and chat them up. Just be out, just be bouncing around. Get a Tesla if you hate paying for gas, but you should be in your car bouncing around your community as often as possible. All right, so number four uh, draft pick on this uh, for income producing uh, activities is to get leads that you don't have to pay up front for. So that might mean joining a team in your market that has a Zillow Flex account or a Realtor.com account, you know, that they're paying for up front, or Zillow Flex is, you know, the the referral fee mm -hmm. on the back end. Sign up for every single referral network, Home Light. You don't pay up front. I think there is a product where you can pay up front, but generally you get a lead. You're getting, you're paying the referral fee after the fact. Sign up for every single online portal that you can do a referral fee at the end. If you're in a big network brokerage, leverage the crap out of that and get, you know, get leads from there. If you're in the Tom Ferry network or something like that, get opportunities that you're paying a referral fee on. Jack up those pillars of opportunities immediately because when I hear income producing activities now, it's I need to generate now business. Forget about the size of the commission check. Be thinking about how do I get 100, 200, 500 past clients into my database, 1,000 past clients into my database so that I'm pulling 20% out a year from that database. If your database isn't as big as those numbers that I just talked about, triple figures and beyond, mm -hmm. you've got to get there any way you can. And by giving up some of the commission up front to build that that those clients that can have a lifetime value of five, 10, 20 referrals for you in the future, you got to go out and get now business. The easiest way to do that 
is to get leads that you don't pay up front for that either the team leader's paying for or, or somebody, the brokerage or somebody else is paying for. Take less on the commission. I know it's a big wa- relocation, whatever it is. Have 10 or 20 of these opportunities coming into you. Well, the thing that a lot of people, they, they always look at like what the what percentage they're getting. And I know that a percentage is always greater than zero. And on top of that, when you're getting into the business or you're looking to ramp your business up, you know, you've got to, you know, you, you give up time or you give up money. And if you're not able to self-generate on your own, getting some at bats and have talking to people with real intent is going to make you a better agent down the line. And you're talking about teams, any team that knows what they're doing, they're going to show you how to generate business long-term, but it takes time. It's not easy. And you have to realize like, oh, I'm going to work my sphere. Well, yeah, you can do that, but your sphere also knows a bunch of other agents. And when you show them you're legitimate by getting sales on the books and you're putting it out there and building your brand and doing those other things, then it's an easier conversation than if you're, hey, I'm a brand new agent. I'm going to send you a letter in the mail or I'm going to call you because I haven't talked to you in 10 years and I'm, I'm clearly trolling for business. That's called commission breath and people can smell it. So getting somewhere where you can build yourself up, and it's also going to build your confidence, which is super important in this business. You got to have a little bit of swagger. Um, and it's, it's not an ego thing. It's a confidence. I can help somebody. That's who usually wins in sales. So that, that's great advice, Byron. I love that. We're going to go with number five here and we're, we're running out of time. So we talked about all these different things. We got time blocking, weekend warrior, getting somewhere where there, there, there's some lead flow. You're not, that's not costing you money up front, making, uh, having conversations. The last one, setting, running and executing on appointments, because if you're not setting appointments with people, you can talk to as many people as you want. If you're not setting them, it's not going to help you. And then if you're not actually going on them, because how many times have you seen someone set a bad appointment? The appointment doesn't show up. They're not qualified. They don't know the right questions or executing at the appointment because you can, I've seen people go on a lot of appointments and nothing comes out of it. Well, right. there's some issue there. So Tom, Al Philippone in Connecticut, his team does over 350 million consistently. He's got this great quote. He says, when he asked an agent, Hey, how'd the appointment go? And they say, good. It's like signed or not signed. There's no good feeling of an appointment. An appointment didn't go good unless it's signed. So to your point, you got to execute that damn thing. Yeah, and, and getting in front of somebody's one thing, but showing up the right way, delivering the appointment. I mean, you know, and this this is all a skill building component here, but it's to execute the activity that's going to make money. And every appointment to this guy, Al, you're talking about here, I love that. It's there's got to be a next step and a game plan. And the best agents and the knowledge brokers, they set the expectation at the first appointment when the next appointment is going to be. They have the game plan already there. Then they update it in their CRM so they don't forget. They put it in their calendar. They It all wraps together here. And if you're setting, running, and executing at appointments, all the stuff we talked about is going to get you to number five here. And I love the way this draft played out because number five ties it all together. The first four, they're all going to get you there. And that's the game in real estate. I love that. That's a, that is a blueprint. Notice what we didn't talk about here on the top five income producing activities for agents. We didn't talk about direct mail disease. I see so many agents get, I'm going to send out direct mail because they, they think their phone's just going to ring magically. And somebody's going to say, that was the prettiest piece of mail I've ever seen in my life. Will you come list my $2 million home? You don't even need to pitch me. Just bring the paperwork. That doesn't happen. Direct mail works at about a 1%. Uh, our, our close friend, Josh Rubin, who's in the East Coast Mastermind with us. 
Josh Rubin does what? 200 plus million a year in Manhattan. Yep. And he spends thousands of dollars on direct mail every single Hundreds year. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. Just an absurd amount of money, Josh Rubin. He'll tell you that he, the only reason he does it is because the price point that he's operating in is 10 million plus, 5 million plus, it's Manhattan. And that it's a less than 1% conversion rate. He'd be lucky to get a uh, half a percent conversion rate. So if you're in a median price point range, direct mail disease would not be the way to do it. Listen, Tom and I, we put out more content than 99% of the industry online. We didn't say spend all your time on Instagram or on TikTok. We talked about what actually drives results. Um, you know, again, you take myself and Tom and Lisa, we're controlling over a thousand deals year to date. And we're sitting here on, on June 2nd right now. We, we've got the data and the experience of what works. And I really do hope uh, whether you're an agent, you know, at any point in your business, uh, you've got these these five steps here, this playbook of income producing activities. Um, again, this is a weekend business. I love I love my number two point there. So go out this weekend, listen to the be in the car all all day, listen to this pod in between appointments, in between just stopping at somebody's business and uh, having conversations with them. You got to be seen in your community. Uh, being seen is being out there. All right, good pod. Let, leave us some questions on this one. We'll address your questions at the end of next week's show. We'll have Lisa back to put her, her her two cents and really her 10 cents because she works so hard and she's in those big price points in Boston. You know, you know, she's, she's, she's got more than two nickels cents and quarters. Than we're we're yeah, dealing she, with pennies over here. Gold coin, Lisa Chinati. She'll be back with us next week. Uh, have a great weekend, everybody. Tom, this is a pleasure as always. See you on the next knowledge.